welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, God explains why he didn't drive out all of the Canaanites. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Once again, that's Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Judges chapter 2. We have this introduction section that goes to the halfway point of chapter 3. And then we'll get to the first judge and we'll move through these cycles of Israel's sin, disobedience, judgment, discipline at God's hand, and then repentance, and then God's deliverance, and then we'll start it all over again. (laughs) And we'll see this downward spiral that will uh, culminate with Samson, the last judge that's mentioned in Judges. And then we'll get to the final section, which is kind of an appendix which just gives two examples of just how bad things got in Israel when they turned away from the Lord. Now, verse 16. Nevertheless, in spite of all their unfaithfulness, despite the fact that they brought it upon themselves, got what they deserved. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those who had plundered them. He raised up judges to rescue them from those who had plundered them. Now, God didn't have to do that, did he? But it doesn't surprise us because it's who he is. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that an awesome promise? Just who he is. He's faithful, you know? Do you realize how awesome the Lord is? Do you see why we need the King of Kings? We need the King of Kings. Because no leader, no matter how good they are, compares to him. You know, God raised up these judges, but ultimately it was not the judges who saved them, it was the Lord who did it, because he's faithful. And the truth is, he's the only one who can keep us on course for eternity. Verse 17, even though God did all this, and yet they wouldn't listen to those judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Even though God was faithful when Israel wasn't and he rescued them from these plunders, Israel only went farther away. They would not listen. They would not obey, listen to or obey these judges that God raised up who rescued them. See, they would follow the Lord for a time under the direction of the godly judge, but not with their whole heart. And so once that judge was done, the cycle would start all over again. It says they would go a-whoring after other gods. The word there, it's a powerful word. It means to be unfaithful through prostituting yourself. So this is not just adultery. This is not just about a fling because, you know, you got caught up in your passion or whatever. This is about selling yourself to a person in order to get something in return, payment in return. See, they weren't content with the Lord and simple faith just to be loved by him and to know that he would take care of them. That wasn't good enough for them. And so they offered their lives to these other gods in order to earn the favor of these other gods and all the pleasures that came with it. And you know what's crazy? God isn't lamenting that they failed or stumbled. It's that they did it so quickly. They did it so quickly. They disregarded his mercy and goodness like it was nothing, all in exchange for the promise of immediate pleasure. 
doing what's right in my own eyes. In the end, being their own God. And while this broke the Lord's heart, every time they did this, these cycles, going from idolatry then to prostituting themselves, while it broke the Lord's heart every time they did this, the Lord didn't forsake them. He remained faithful, and he looked for any reason to show them favor again, even if it was just one faithful person. Look at verse 18. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judge, even when he couldn't be with the nation. He was with the judge, and he delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. Why? For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. This, this verse right here is one of those verses that like, you should put on a fridge somewhere. I mean, I know it's not beautiful in its wording. You know, you don't usually like to put the word vexed on your fridge, you know. But, but the concept here is amazing when you really break it down into its parts. It repented the Lord because of their groanings. In other words, why did God do this? Why? God was looking for any reason to rescue them. Why? Why did he raise up a judge? Why did he stick with that judge even though the rest of the nation may not have been faithful? Because it repented him when he heard their groanings. The word there to repent is not the word we think of when we think of like changing our mind. God doesn't change. The word here means to be in a state of sorrow or grief over what a person is going through. Like, have you ever seen somebody that's just going through it and your heart just breaks for them? So God allows discipline to come into the eyes, allows these invaders to come in. And then Israel goes out to fight in their own strength and they just get defeated and they become kind of, maybe not slaves necessarily, but they become enslaved in a sense to the, to the cruelty of these other nations who have power over them now because they defeated them militarily and they've plundered them. And so their lives are miserable. And God hears their groanings. He doesn't even say their prayers. The word here for groaning means a nonverbal guttural noise of great pain and suffering. That noise you make when you're just, your gut is just killing you and you can't, ah, you, know, you know. God is listening to the pain and suffering they're going through and it breaks his heart. He just, it breaks his heart. So it's not like God even does something because they go, oh God, we blew it. Will you please forgive us and rescue us? No. It wasn't prayers that moved God's heart. It was seeing what an awful situation they were in. The initiation is from God, not Israel. And so he looks for some reason to rescue them. And when he finds one faithful person, these judges, it's enough. It's enough for him. You know, what's really cool about that is it paints a beautiful picture because there's only one faithful person that the Lord has to see to forgive us, right? And it's his son, Jesus. That's all it took. One perfect sacrifice, one godly man. You know, one person that he could say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Can't say it about Adam or any of his descendants, but this one, this one son of Adam, I can. And that's good enough for me. His sacrifice, I'll accept. And if you'll receive his sacrifice, I'll embrace you and forgive you and raise you back up. Isn't that awesome? Do you see how much the Lord loves us? Even though they did this to themselves, he's the one who's broken when he sees their pain. And that's the same heart that he has for you, even when you're doing your own thing 
and experiencing the troubles that come from that. And you want to know the even crazier part? God did it every time, knowing that they turn away from him again. He did it every time, knowing they turn away from him again. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, that they returned, went right back to where they were. And they corrupted themselves more than their fathers. They did even worse. As this is where we see this, this summary of the cycles, that it, it, things just got worse and worse and worse. When we get to the last two judges, where you got Jephthah, and he's like, God, if you'll deliver us from these people, then I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door to you. And what comes strolling out? His daughter. Yeah, real nice job, good guy. And then we got Samson, and we don't think I need to talk about him. He wasn't the winner. Those are the last two leaders that Israel had. And then later on, we get in 1 Samuel, it's Eli. He's in total failure. So things just keep getting worse and worse. They keep destroying themselves even more and more, keep ruining themselves even more and more, and following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They would not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn ways. Things will get worse and worse and worse in the book of Judges, until we'll get to the end and we won't even recognize the nation that took the land under Joshua. Won't even recognize it. Now, even though God loves them and he is heartbroken by these self-inflicted wounds, he can't ignore their stubbornness. So in addition to allowing invaders to come in, God brings a second discipline. And it's by allowing some of those pockets of resistance that he promised he'd drive out, the Canaanites who were still in the land. He says, you know what? I'm not going to drive them out now. And so in verse 20, it says, the anger of the Lord, again, was hot against Israel. Same words as earlier. It's not like God was fuming about the past. That's not the point. It's again, their disobedience got to a place where he had to do something about their sin and the pain it was causing. And so it flares into action. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because that this people has transgressed my covenant, which I have commanded their fathers, and they have not hearkened unto my voice. And I will also not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died. He says, it won't just be these external invaders. I'm going to allow those that you never dealt with from within to rise up and become a problem for you. And so even though God had promised Israel and promised Joshua that he would deliver all those remaining pockets of resistance into the hands of each tribe. God says he will not do it now because of their unbelief and their disobedience. Now, we look at that and we go, man, that's heavy. But you know what? God didn't do this just to discipline them or punish them. You know, he allowed these nations to be strong within them. I mean, these people groups to be strong within them that remained to show them where they were spiritually. Look at verse 22 that through them, through these remaining Canaanites that were in the land, that through them I might test Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Now that's interesting. The word there to prove, it means to test. To test for the purpose of learning the true nature of something. And that's why, that's why we have tests in school, right? See if you really know it or not. You know, you might be able to do it right after you read about it, but now can you do it when it's on the line? Can you handle everything we've learned this semester? Let's find out if you pass the class, if you make the grade. Do you know what you're talking about? Do you really know this stuff? And so that's what this means. Well, God, of course, is all-knowing, right? So does he have any need to test us to learn our true nature, to figure out if we know it? Certainly not. 
But while God is all-knowing, we are not all-knowing. And we are especially bad at evaluating ourselves correctly. Especially bad. You know, that's why we need the church. You know, people, oh, the church is so messed up. I don't go to any churches. None of them are right. Okay, well, good luck because you're not going to be able to see your own faults clearly. You know what I love about going to like a men's retreat? I'm right in front of the bullseye for God to get me. I am, what will you do? And you come to church and you say, God, get me however you have to. Or if I need to understand your love better, then show it to me. If I need to be corrected in some way, show it to me. When you do that, you expose yourself and you say, Lord, I may be in an imperfect place with a lot of imperfect people and the pastor's not even that good, but I'm placing myself in front of you so you can evaluate me and I can understand myself correctly. And that's what he left them there for. See, God didn't allow Israel to defeat these remaining Canaanites. He didn't allow them to do it so they would learn their spiritual condition, to get their attention. And they would look as they keep throwing their armies against the Philistines or the northern Canaanites that were the only two that were really left. And they would go, how come we can't defeat these guys? We just defeated armies of five kings. Why are we having so much trouble with these guys? What's wrong with us? What changed? And see, when they would realize that it was because of their disobedience, not serving God like their forefathers, well, then they'd know the way back, right? Repentance. And you know, this is why God originally made it so difficult for Israel to possess all the land during Joshua's lifetime, just after he died. He had left those different pockets of resistance there to be a test, to teach them and show them their spiritual condition, whether they were making the grade or not. Verse 23, therefore, this is why the Lord left those nations without driving them out quickly, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. This is why God made it hard. You know, as Judah's going in and they're defeating these pockets of resistance, they're going, man, this is hard. You know, we, we took the Philistine cities, but they got chariots and in the valley. And man, this is, a, this is hard. We just can't seem to really win that final battle. They're just always there. God, why are you doing that? Because I want to see if you'll persevere. I want to see if you'll trust me. Without any obstacles in front of you, you won't know where you're really at spiritually. You see, God sometimes allows difficulties into our lives for the very same reason. Will we persevere? Will we continue to trust and obey God even when things are hard? You know, and ask you tonight, do you? Do you trust and obey the Lord even when things are hard? Do you persevere? Because if you're willing to receive it, the answer to that question teaches you where you still need to grow, where you still need to grow. Now, the beginning of chapter 3 really should be at the end of chapter 2 because it reiterates again the importance of this test, verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel, to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know, that they might learn something, to teach them to war, at the least those who before knew nothing thereof. You know, God won the promised land for Israel, but Israel had a part to play, right? They had to walk around the walls. You know, they had to go fight Ai. You know, they had to go out and fight the Canaanite kings who surprise attacked Gibeon. They had to go and meet the kings who had gathered up in that defensible position in the north. They had a part to play. And you know what? Their part was to trust God's promise and to follow him into battle. 
But did the next generation know any of that? They only knew the comforts of those victories, not the challenges of faith that won them. They'd never learned to fight for God or trust God for victory over their challenges. They didn't know how to prosecute a war under God's direction. And that's that's the reason why God sometimes allows trouble into my perfectly fine life right now. God, what are you doing? Things are great. (laughs) And then, blammo, God throws a trial right in front of you. What is this for? Lord, I'm walking with you. Like what? Like things are good. Like we're, we're moving forward. We're trusting you. We're doing what you said. I know. But you don't know what's coming down the road. And you're not ready for it because you've never been through it before. This will help you. God allows trials into our perfectly fine life because Christianity doesn't get easier the older you get. It doesn't get easier the longer you walk with the Lord. And I remember I said to my pastor, as a young man, I was probably 18, 19 years old, and I said, you know, my, my goal is I want to be where you are someday so I don't have any trouble. I remember he laughed. I remember many years later when he called me asking for prayer because he was going through trials. I went to go visit him because he'd had a health trial. And I was kind of, you know, glad to see you, glad you're doing well. And I got up to go and he goes, where are you going? I was I need to head home. And he goes, you didn't pray for me. I need you to pray for me right now. This is hard. I thought, Lord, is that how it is? I was still a young man, very young man at the time, maybe 22, 23 years old. I've since learned that is how it is. The enemy's attacks grow fiercer and fiercer in our lives until we come to the greatest test of all, facing death. And as we age, the world allows harder challenges to grow us so we can face those greater attacks of the enemy in strength and not ignorance. With experience and not noobness. <laughs> Think about it. How many people do you know that have finished well? Probably not a lot. Most don't get to the place where they're able to face those greater challenges successfully. But that's not because God didn't give them opportunities to finish well. It's because they stopped making the grade when the harder challenges came. It's easy when you think about it to become very discouraged by that. You know, am I doomed to fail too? I hear people say all the time, great, thanks for the encouragement, Pastor Will. If other people didn't make it, I'm not going to. So how do we make the grade when so many others failed before us? Let's take a look at those that were left to test Israel first, then we'll get our answer. It says in verse three, namely, this is who God left, two groups, the five lords of the Philistines, number one, and the number two, all the Canaanites, Sidonians, and the Hivites that dwelt in Mount Lebanon. So it was three groups that grouped together. that dwelt in the Mount of Lebanon from Mount Balhermon and the entering of Hamath. So you have the northern Canaanites and the Philistine lords. Now, what's interesting about that is that the Philistines will kind of become the main villains in Judges, 1 Samuel, and 2 Samuel. And they will aggressively oppose Israel, fighting them aggressively, seeking to smash them into submission. But those northern Canaanites, they'll become the main villains in 1 Kings. 
but not like the Philistines. They're going to seek to destroy Israel through infiltration, through their friendship and alliances, through Queen Jezebel and the king that Solomon allied with there. In other words, to obliterate the faith of Israel by infiltrating their own gods. And you know, that's interesting because that's how the enemy attacks us too, right? You know, first he tries to crush us through trials and then he tries to tempt us to compromise. And you and I need to learn how to face both. And how do we do that? Verse four, and they were there to test Israel by them to know whether, here it is, they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. They existed there to teach Israel whether they were going to be those who listened and paid attention to God's commands or who didn't. The word that are hearken, it means to believe information and respond based on what you've heard. And what information are they supposed to believe and respond to? The commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses, God's word. So how would Israel make the grade? How do I make the grade? By believing what God says and responding accordingly with every new challenge, no matter how hard it gets. And we have the testimony of many who did so. Yes, many failed. But I want to leave you with the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it's really cool what he says here. 2 Timothy 4 verse 6. He says, For I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul's writing from his second imprisonment. He is not going to be let go free by Caesar this time. Caesar and Nero has a vendetta against Christians. Paul will be beheaded very shortly after he writes this letter. And here's what he says at the end. He knows it's coming. He's facing that last challenge. And this is what he says. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race. And here it is. I have kept, not my faith, I have kept the faith. What's the faith? It's this. This is the faith. This is everything we need to know about God. Everything he says to us, starting with Moses, what they had here, and moving forward, everything else. At the end of his life, Paul said, I held on to this. When I heard it, It was important to me, and I responded appropriately. That doesn't mean Paul didn't fail, but that was the mark of his life. And so at the end of his life, as he was facing that big challenge of his own execution, he says, I made the grade. I passed. And henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And here's the beautiful promise, but not just to me but unto all those who love his appearing. Guys, making the grade isn't about being perfect. It's about believing what God says to the very end. And I promise you, if you keep that the priority in your heart, you will finish well. Amen? Lord, we thank you that you don't make it complicated, or we would not pass if it was complicated, Lord. It needs to be a very simple test. And so, Lord, we want to be those who pay attention to what you say, believe it, and then respond accordingly. Recognizing that you're not expecting perfection, Lord. You want us to go into maturity, but you know our frame. You know we're simply dust. You know we'll fail sometimes. But Lord, that heart 
That even though we fall, that righteous man gets up seven times a day. We get up and we say, Lord, my heart is to receive your word, to trust in it, and to respond accordingly. And Lord, if we keep that in the front of our minds and in the center of our hearts, we will finish well. So I pray for my dear brothers and sisters tonight. Help them to do that. Help them to have great hope in your promise. We don't have to bargain with you, Lord. It's not we don't have to climb some mountain for you, whatever. But if we simply trust in you with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, you will make our path straight. Thank you for that promise, Lord. We rest in it. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Thy strong army will save.